0: Hello and welcome to Pod of the Gaps, the podcast which seeks to plug the gaps between church, culture, theology, apologetics, and anything else that the host of each show decides to add in at this point. Uh, my name is Aaron Edwards, and I'm joined as ever by fellow podcastee Andy Bannister. Is podcasty um, a word, by the way? I, you it is. I keep using that word. I'm not sure it means it's, what you think it is. Uh, <laughs> what do you mean? I mean what, what else is it going to mean? It's a fellow well, is a new word. Maybe I it's guess an Aaron Edwardsism. C- it is a, a neo edwardsianism yeah that's correct um a yeah, banis- yeah. not a banisterianism um but you're right yes so, so i like podcasty podcasty kind of works
1: See, but archaeologists well linguistics, linguists will look back in the future and study this period and they'll go that was the time that was the
0: moment i've got it we got it recorded although it doesn't i guess i guess, you worry because it makes you sound junior because it's almost it like my mentee yeah. my podcasty i'm just, i'm just training andy banister i'm a padawan you know, by the yeah. way talking <laughs> of
1: archaeologists i don't know why i suddenly thought of this my my wife has just been away for a, couple of days with a Canadian friend who was visiting they went to the highlands and did lots of tourist stuff and uh, between them my Canadian friend she bought 10 and my wife bought five of these little China Loch Ness monster Ooh. kind of things So I know I said to the gift shop the person at the gift shop must have thought it was like every Christmas but I said I love the idea that in years to come archaeologists you know uncovering this layer of history will discover Lots of bits of Loch Ness monster everywhere in China, and <laughs> develop a thesis that people in the 21st century there was a Loch Ness monster cult in in, in in Dundee. The Loch Ness
0: monster of the gaps, as it were. Yeah, that's great. Yes. Well, I, I mean, i never actually got up to Inverness when I lived in Scotland. Um, to uh, te- that to is terrible. It's a sacrilege, isn't it, to have lived in Scotland for almost five years and we never, we never got even tried to see the Loch Ness monster. I think we were the first. We, we got to the Cairngorms. We once went on a trip. All the way to see a place called Loch Ellen, which was a, a castle on an island. But in oh, my memory, famous. It's yeah. really famous. It's like the most famous picnic spot in Britain. I think it got the number one picnic spot because you've got. And like it's in Monty Python
1: and the Holy Grail as well. Oh, is it? Monty I didn't Python know that. Ah. Yeah,
0: but you know, it's not as. I mean, I saw it once, and then I. I think we had some family come to visit, and we had a long trek of a journey in in the snow. I was like, "Don't worry, this is like the most amazing thing ever." And in my head. I'd misremembered it as almost like the Disney castle on the island. I was just saying, oh, there's turrets and all stuff, and I clearly, when we got there, it was so disappointing because I remembered, oh no, it is still just a castle ruin. It's just like a load of rubble, really. There's there's some walls left, but it's not in any way like a fully fledged castle.
1: And so after this long excursion, it was seen as quite a disappointment. There's a lovely. Um... There's a lovely moment in one of uh, Eddie Azard, who's a stand-up comedian, I quite like oh, yes. stand-up comics, where he talks about archaeology and he th- you know, the fact that, you know, you'll see just see a you know this sort of low sort of series of small walls is all that's left of many great historical sites. But yeah. archaeologists can wander around this series of small walls and go, oh, yes, well, of course, here was where they ate dinner, and here was where they prayed cribbage, and you know, here <laughs> was where they painted chickens. And, and, and he said, after a while, you begin to realise they're just making it up. Just a series <laughs> of small walls.
0: Yeah, yeah. Actually, <laughs> my thing, I, I, I thought you were going to say on the Eddie Izzard line, for our American listeners, if we have any left, I mean, I'm saying that when he goes to America, yeah, has two of them, and he goes, they just say, this building, it was invented over 50, built 50 years ago or something. No, no one was alive then. We say the opposite in Britain, where you've got these 12th century castles around every corner, that kind of thing. Or indeed, castles on islands in Scotland that don't this, look anywhere. And this, and this kind of thing. Anyway, it's impressive. Yeah, but on a completely unrelated and genuinely unrelated note, this isn't even a segue. I I just want you to tell the listeners about your. Coconut story. <laughs> oh, yeah, Andy, uh, just just for context, Andy is a really hard-working evangelist. You know how Paul talks about getting you know sleepless nights, shipwrecks, snake bites. You know, yeah, and yeah. Being stoned. So Andy's I similar. Version of that. He's I similar. Am, yes, exactly. So where were you, Andy? This really hard. Were you in a prison somewhere? Was it? Where were well, you? Well, I was. Okay?
1: This was. A, this to be to be fair. A couple of things in my context. Firstly, you know, <laughs> for people listening to this going, do they just randomly ban? So we do plan where we're going, and we have a plan. So stay with us. um before the show, I happened to mention to, to Aaron that um, about four years ago now, I was speaking out in <clears throat> and, uh, Hawaii. Hawaii. Oh, uh, sorry.
0: Hawaii. Real, that is a hard Hawaii. place to go. It is. It is tough because I'm allergic to my Lord, to send me kind of thing. You're like, I'm allergic to
1: sun and yeah. uh, I'd yeah. seashores and, um, yeah. and and those things. Anyway, I was in Hawaii and I was speaking at the uh, the University of Hawaii Extension Campus, I think in Maui or Kona, one of those, one of those islands. And we're outside because, you know, i would like Scotland where, um, you know, it rains 364 days of the year. Um, it, uh, it, it's, it's sunny. I was speaking outside under this grove of palm trees. and I forget doing some lunch bar evangelistic talk, got a large audience. And suddenly there's was a sort of strange noise above me. And this coconut fell out of the palm tree I was standing under, whooshed to the ground. It did kind of make a whoosh noise and sort of hit the ground and exploded <laughs> noisily about a metre from me. And one of the other... Student, well, I said to one of the students afterwards. Said, so, "Well, how often does that happen?" They went, "Oh, actually, it's really rare because they are really quite robust. It's quite actually hard to get coconuts down." I said, "What? What happens if that hits somebody?" They went, "Oh, it doesn't happen very often." I said, "But what happens?" I said, "Well, that's it. You're trying to check out basically because it's like a rock, and you've been, you've been hit." So I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't. Uh, I don't think I could live it away. Although, as I say to you, statistically, more people are killed by coconuts falling out of trees actually than by sharks. Um... Yeah. Probably because sharks don't climb trees. Well, right. Exactly, you know, and that's, that's why I live in Dundee, where we have neither sharks nor coconuts.
0: Nor, nor coconuts. So. So you have to really go to an effort to die by coconut in Dundee. You've got to go like planet. Somebody plan. was
1: somebody was savaged by a haggis here in 1874, right. I think. But otherwise, it's all right.
0: It's a whole other, um, a whole other kettle of fish. I've
1: is, got, well, yes, I've got a haggis story. I'll, sh- I'll share it another time, maybe.
0: Um share them. Yeah. Um, go on,
1: Go on. Go on. Go you go you go, go. you go. You go. A li- well, How I was many trying we'll to give a this link, guy? my friend, because haggis is a food stuff, but you were you were telling oh, me yes, about exciting of course. food-related wow. moments on your campus. Oh goodness today.
0: me! Yeah, well we're off. We're off chocolate cake, biscuits for Lent. See, really? Um, and what always happens when you are fasting, and this always seems to happen, I think it's, it's just the way the enemy likes to tempt us. Someone will do something completely out of character, like today in the Cliff College staff room. I've never before seen this a fully-fledged, amazing chocolate cake, you know, in cling film, but with one piece missing, so you know that it's, like, for, you know, consumption. Um, And I thought, oh, this would probably be, like, a stale, rubbish piece. I just sort of poked it uh, under the cling film, and I was like, this is, like, this looks like the best chocolate cake I've ever seen. And it was a perfect moment for it, but I, thankfully, I didn't this time succumb to temptation, but it always seems to happen when you are uh wanting to not have something that will come your way yes. in, in some bizarre way
1: i confess i was i was i was slightly disturbed there so my, my mind has started wandering actually because you referred to a fully fledged chocolate cake and i was like do chocolate cakes hatch are they like chickens <gasps> You to get of... these
0: rubbish kinds that are like store-bought or like they're just i'm yeah. talking like a serious chocolate cake like one that's serious about its chocolateness i guess
1: well there we go no. well you should have eaten it because you know there is after all that saying we are uh, you are what you eat eh well, indeed, 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 and I'd say Andy's
0: very, Andy's very worried to you about. Andy's very worried about about banter that doesn't go somewhere. So we've got this yeah. perfect link, which I've now That's undone by explaining it. But anyway, yes. Uh, yes, you are what you eat. Indeed, this is this is our um our topic for today. Is the stuff of stuff? Are we stuff, stuff? Just stuff? So really, what we're talking about here is the worldview of materialism, or the reality of materialism. What does it mean? So that word can seem like an odd, um. You know, an, an odd kind of philosophical term. But Andy, just give tell tell us what what, what does materialism mean to you? Good for, the well, oh for our listeners.
1: That's materialism such a kind
0: of and of... me by Andy Baxter. Well, that's such, a
1: more, that's such a kind of touchy feely twenty <laughs> first century question. Twenty first century question, isn't it? It's yes, like, that you know, is how, so. Yeah. How does it, how does how does that word f- make you make you feel? I remember there was some satirical <laughs> comedy show on the on, on the BBC here about sort of 15 years ago where they were sort of, you know, fake news program talking about an asteroid strike, you know, having wiped out America <laughs> or something. And then it was like, have you ever been affected by an asteroid strike? Then ring us. Um, Have you ever <laughs> had a near close, uh, uh, close brush with an asteroid? Have you ever thought about an asteroid? If, um, <laughs> can you imagine what it might be like to be hit by a flame? <laughs> Whatever. Just ring us, please, yeah, just please, um, please. So materialism, you're right. I mean, materialism, it's, it's, well, it's interesting. The term can be used two ways. It can be used, it, as a, as a sort of synonym for consumerism um, and that's sort of confuses people who are not kind of philosophers yeah. um, the idea that you you know you you sort of are the possessions that you own and you're mm-hmm. defined by what you own but in the stricter philosophical term and the way we're going to be exploring it today because it's an idea that, shoot, that shot through our culture isn't it in many ways is mm-hmm. the idea that the mat- material stuff is mm-hmm. all that exists the only things that actually exist are things that you could touch or feel or measure, or could be described by the laws of, you know, physics, mm. or whatever. So, you know, tables and chairs and arvarks mm. and chocolate cakes and theologians exist, but obviously, you know, gods and spirits and supernatural things, souls and theology and doesn't and, exist. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's, doesn't exist, yeah, doesn't exist.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's right. And that, you know, mind you, ever when I was an undergraduate doing English literature, I can remember I had a really hardline atheist. Um, Professor, who was the best lecturer by far, um and he—I remember speaking to him. He would be very, very vocal about his atheism and, and talk about how he just doesn't believe in stuff that isn't real, that isn't really there, that he can't—that he can't sense. There's this sort of empirical in other words, well, another kind of related term to this would be empiricism. um the, set, the fact that you need to be able to experience anything that's real, so you, with your five senses, and so if it isn't, doesn't fall within that remit. That I can I can literally experience it, then it isn't real, it doesn't exist. So then you think, well, what about love? What about freedom? What about justice? Are these things? These are kind of just terms that exist. Is there anything, any such thing that means anything beyond every individual just experiencing stuff? And then creating meaning off of the back of those shared, maybe shared experiences, but can you even have a shared experience. You only have individuals who sense things. Um, and so this is this is kind of an issue which we might think in our what, what, quote unquote postmodern world um, of where, where people seem to be more relativistic, where they kind of think your truth is, you know, need not mm. be the same as my truth. A lot of people have that going on. I'd argue most people actually have some form of postmodern um. Uh, air that they breathe, which affects how they think and and speak. But at the same time, there is this undergirding layer that I've started to notice about people still really ultimately want evidence for things to be true. They they want things that they can verify. Mm. We still live in a modern world, which is still quite obsessed with quantifying information and data, money. There's a a kind of bottom line to things. We're not just all – we pretend that we're very airy-fairy and it's we love everyone and we're inclusive, and it doesn't really matter what you believe, but really that's not true. Like I, I was using a um an example in my philosophy lecture I was doing earlier this week, actually, on, on postmodernism. And I used the example of, weirdly of a bill uh I got by email from one of the energy company or phone company, I forget which it was. And the difference started- is
1: one would ha- one has lots of zeros after it. That's, <laughs> That's the clue right. that it's Especially now,
0: one, one was saying you owe us like a thousand pounds, now. You haven't paid it. Um, and it was so funny to see the change of language. And I don't know if you've had this, Andy, where you get bills mm. by email. And they use all this kind of cool, down-to-earth language, like, oh, boring, irrelevant, boring information, but I guess you have to know it, dot, dot, dot. This is, this isn't, you know, don't worry about it. All this kind of colloquial language, like they're just chatting to you, but they're still ultimately giving you a bill. So they want it to seem like it's not really authoritative and austere like a financial, um, you know, bailiff's coming to say, we're going to take your something away from you if you don't pay. Um, they really are still doing that, but they're just making it sound like they're not. So there's this kind of, hey, everything's cool and fine. You can do whatever you want, but obviously do... You have, oh, not so really, do I, can I just not pay then? Is that all right? Oh, well, that's a whole different...
1: Well, great you time. should write back in the same form. Just go, yo, dude! So I <laughs> yeah. Just says, "I'm oh, just so good to have a missive. isn't it great? They're all in this together, and just ramble on, and then right at the yeah. bottom, it's go. You know, all the boring bit. No checking clothes. <laughs> I've got
0: no money. Sorry, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I've got no money. Yeah. Hope that's all right, guys. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so so we do have this strange paradox, don't we, going on? Where I think a lot of people, if you're an evangelist, you're an evangelist. You're in a lot of conversations with people. I find it just day to day when. You you are in an argument with someone, or just a little friendly discussion about faith. They're saying why they're not a Christian, and there's a mixture of these two things, and they don't really mix. And um, they just pick up and choose the relativism when they want it, and then the ma- but really the base layer is materialism. Do you find this in your kind of interactions, evangelists? Yeah, I
1: think you're absolutely, you're absolutely right. I think I think what's going on. Well, there's there's, there's a couple of theses as to what's going on. The, the first is that actually for all of this talk of postmodernism. Uh, that you hear batting around the place, and actually, for most people in our culture, they are still old-fashioned modernists, apart from when it comes to religion and spirituality. So, you know, nobody, nobody would fly on a plane where the pilot came over the tannoy and she announced. You know, I'm just going to press whichever buttons I want. So I'm going to go by colors. Um, you'd be ready for the emergency <laughs> exits or a, or a doctor right. who did the same thing. Or if you're the teachers at your kid's school, we're like, you know what? We're gonna, not going to teach the kids anything. We're going to let them believe whatever they want to believe. You'd be, what the hell are you doing? Um, but when it yeah. comes to, you know, ethics and, and sort of, you know, good and, and evil, mm. or when it comes to, as you say, spirituality, suddenly everyone goes all floppy. Um which suggests to me, again, that's old-fashioned modernism. Well, those things aren't really true, um, yeah. so you could sort of believe what you want. So that's the first, yeah, the first yeah. thesis. Um, so that, but, but the other thesis is that we're just actually desperately confused, and I'm not quite sure which hmm. category hmm. I fall into. I think um, I think people are desperately confused because often when you point out to them that those two ideas are trying to live inside the one the one head you get all kinds yeah. of you get all kinds of and you see this in all kinds of places like one, for me yeah. one of the classic places that you see it right now is an, an issue that we've talked about on this show you know many times look at the trans issue mm. uh, which is you know as as writ large in our culture as ever I mean it's it scarcely me a day goes by without some ridiculous story uh in the headlines or some you know Christian halfwit like Steve chalk I'm sorry to be that blunt, but guy I have a limit. Um, basically, coming up. I, I think you were blunt age. enough.
0: You called him a Christian. That was strange. <laughs>
1: <laughs> anyway, um I would just say if Steve's listening, half is is how I feel. It's my it's my feely language. It's what he means to know, you. Like,
0: you know, it's just your own experience, um, your experience of him. Yeah.
1: But my point being is, so the trans movement, in many mm. ways, and I, I want to be very careful here, actually, because. You know, I've got a good I've got an increasingly good friend of mine who has you know gender dysphoria and struggles with that issue. That's a very different thing to someone who's messing around with identity politics. Um mm-hmm. but the trans movement uh, where you can say, oh well I'm a I'm ever man's body but but inside me is a, is a woman uh, because of yeah. the way I feel. So in one yeah. sense that looks very feelings based but suddenly things get all weird because then you want to start, you know, rearranging a mm-hmm. biology, hacking bits yeah. off or gluing bits on because well, no, no, it's not about feelings. It's actually about, mm. about bi- biology. Biology is a real world thing. Mm. Or, of course, you know, you find feelings very quickly run out when you turn around to that person and say, oh, well, that's great. I actually believe I'm an African-American uh, yeah. on the inside, in, inside a white male's body. Yeah, and talk, that's well, going ha- no. Yeah. No, to that no, play out. No, yeah. no. That feeling is is not allowed mm. um, kind of thing. So I think there's that there's that piece too. Um, mm. And then even for the other side rounds, that story you told of your English Litz prof you know who, who mm. an old-fashioned atheist only believed in things he could feel and touch i suppose if i was chatting with him down the pub i'd be asking him well why are you teaching english literature because stories don't exist you're dealing yeah, yeah, with, a, with a lot of ideas yeah, yeah um you know what is a story what is a book you know clearly and then when you're reading that book when you're having the experience of reading that book what is the you that's having that experience mm. is it just the mm. stuff that your major is having a chemical reaction mm. up here triggered by the the book or funny is there that going on
0: the, funny enough that's precisely where the contradiction arises arose because actually most people who study english lit today in a western academy are doing it through a postmodern lens so there's this idea of the death of the author um so you'd sit there in seminars and everyone just saying oh i think this is what the author this is what this means to me and they'd say this is what shakespeare means you're like hmm don't think he meant that, but it doesn't matter because the death of the author has happened because you know it, it's an implication of the death of God. I ah, yeah. don't need it anymore. We've moved on. There's no author, there, there is just a, a text, and and actually yes. that's all we have. We don't never We have and multiple interpretations are possible Along but alongside again, this sort of where, where it cashes out in the reality of their life. It's, it's funny you mentioned that the trans thing, the um you know, on that that kind of the the letter that Steve Chalk recently wrote to the um government uh, complaining about gay conversion therapy not including the the ban, not including um, trans people. Um, That's been, you know, signed by Rowan Williams, among others, which is fascinating. Um, That that there was this sort of language that people have been critiquing of of becoming trans as, as a sacred journey, and invoking very sort of interesting metaphysical language. And there's one critic, i saw cited uh matthew Roberts who wrote a kind of response to this um kind of critiquing the fact that oh we've gone beyond the sense of you know science or, or, or common sense even or even just compassion and um, we've bec- it's become a kind of new religion And it says that the quote was a, a desire for mystical fulfillment and a metaphysical belief in unseen realities so in an unseeable and unexperienceable reality i just believe i am this and therefore i am so you're right that that's the other side of the coin here isn't it that And we need to stress the reality of of, um, empirical reality. That is a good thing. And we're not saying it's, um, we don't want to become kind of Gnostic and affirm things that are not really true. No, Um, But the other side
1: of, yeah, go on, yeah. Yeah. No, I was going to say, I've come back to the death of the author Mm. piece. Of course, well, again, I think, I think where the postmodern sort of turn breaks down as i've been in those kind of situations too and it's sort of deeply painful to watch a a, a room of otherwise intelligent men and women think all you have to do is say this is my response to text but of course if somebody says i read shakespeare and and this is my response um it's always fun to then you know play the game and turn around and go oh okay so i understand you to be saying that you think shakespeare had an objective meaning and that we could really access this and we can know what the author said and of course they'll go well, 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 no, I didn't say that. Oh, well, thank you for agreeing with me. Well, hang on, yeah, I'm not yeah. agreeing with you. Oh, ah, yeah, no, 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 no. My understanding of your words is yeah. that you're agreeing with me. And <laughs> of course, right. suddenly all well, hell breaks loose. And yeah. I think one thing I think that's hugely important for Christians to do here, actually, I think it's vital that whenever you get the chance, break the script. Yes. That is yes. one way, yeah. I think, uh, responding to some of this. You know, someone, very seriously, if, if somebody, you know, raises the trans thing... It is important to bring up the race mm. thing, or yeah. why can't I identify as something else? Because anything that you can do that is, if you just come in through the front door and go, mm. I disagree with you, you're wrong. Mm. People are going to struggle with with with, with that. But if you yeah. take what they're saying and just push it down the skids even faster until bits mm. fall off it, yeah. and that actually goes back to Francis Schaeffer, quite a well-known, you know, Christian writer in the 70s and 80s, who was that was that was yeah, a big yeah. insight that I think Schaeffer had that sometimes rather than resist, you want to push the thing until it crashes mm. off the rails at the end and people go oh this doesn't quite work does it mm. Mm. and then you do that with compassion you don't you don't do that to be a smart aleck. Mm. but sometimes you have to break the thing to show the thing doesn't work yeah that's no
0: absolutely right i think that that's that's a really good good advice as well to think about how christians can yeah um invade some of the sort of smoke screen uh, which is often put up um because but you also get so i've described obviously the the sort of contradiction of the kind of Materialism alongside this sort of yeah weird postmodern gnosticism of I can just say whatever comes comes to me without it needing to affirm reality. Um, you do often also get hardline materialists, don't you? Still, who so so though we no one really sort of thinks Richard Dawkins and all of his merry new atheists are. They're not kind of the ones being interviewed on talk shows anymore. They're not the talk of the town anymore. They're not on Vogue, but we still have a lot of people who've either probably swallowed those arguments previously, or maybe even gotten them secondhand, usually from a stand-up comedian like Ricky Gervais or something, who kind of parrots a, a, that kind of same materialist um, philosophy, and in a funny way to people. So therefore, oh, yeah, I kind of agree with that person. Therefore, that's enough for me to kind of explain um, all religious phenomena or all uh, uh, you know uh, a- a- accounts of transcendent meaning in some way. Um, I came across recently not only um uh well i think i mentioned it on a previous episode the christopher hitchens book um on mortality that he wrote yes. when he had cancer and i think it's uh, it's helpful really a quote quite a kind of stark quote from the book <clears throat> because he's again we i think we mentioned him before he he would be my one of my favorite atheists of that movement because he was a little bit more honest um about implications he wasn't just willing to go down the likely view that you would have if you believe this you'd always believe this he was able to sort of shift positions um, in a way that wasn't inconsistent but was just him being open to what he believed to be true like like his um rejection of abortion for example which you know made him the enemy of many uh, of his atheist friends in some other respects but in this book he's talking about the experience of cancer and he's talking about when people ask you how are you and the kind of challenge of of what that really means when it when things are not well um so we kind of, you know, how, what do you actually tell them? How far do you go about the sort of challenges of your condition? So i read this quote. He says, nobody wants to be told about the countless minor horrors and humiliations that become facts of so-called life when your body turns from being a friend to being a foe. The boring switch from chronic constipation to its sudden dramatic opposite. The equally nasty double cross of feeling acute hunger while fearing even the scent of food. The absolute misery of gut-wringing nausea on an utterly empty stomach, or the pathetic discovery that hair loss extends to the disappearance of the follicles in your nostrils, and thus to the childish and irritating phenomenon of a permanently runny nose. And yes, sorry, you did ask. (laughs) Um, Then he says, it's no fun to appreciate to the full the truth of the materialist proposition that I don't have a body, I am a body. I don't have a body, I am a body. And that's someone who is a paid up, and I say paid up because his career was made on being an atheist, a paid up materialist. He's he fully committed to the view of materialism. He even said you know, to, to the end, even in my dying moments, if I call out for some priest, just assume I've gone mad. It's the kind of gray matter in my brain that's kind of tricking me in some way. What I, This is what I believe, materialism is all there is. When I die, I'm gone. Um, but the reality of him contemplating that even in the build up, he's saying, even I know there's something kind of depressing about what I really believe. Mm. Um, it's not fun to contemplate the fact that I, I'm no more than my body. Um, I don't I don't have a body, I've got no soul. There's nothing else going on here. I just am a body. So when this body shuts down, when this fails me, I fail, I'm no I no longer am. Mm. So it kind of really puts it into a really stark perspective, isn't it? And then I think many people labor under a kind of or well, they just live under a way that they don't realize the full devastation of what materialism, that materialist view it really means. Mm. And they live like that's the case. Even if they sort of say, oh, yeah, I'm happy for some um, transcendence to be there afterwards. Actually, they live as though this is all there is, because that's how their life goes. They don't live as though there's a God to whom they should be accountable. They don't live as though sin is real. They don't live as though um, there's anything beyond really just making nice ethical judgments in society that help you get along.
1: Mm. Yeah. yeah, but I think what's interesting—that point you made about nice ethical judgments—I think that's where things become interesting because I think mm. I think one of the tasks of Christians, whether we want to do it both in terms of you know engaging and challenging our culture, or we want to do it because of evangelism and hoping people will see the beauty of the gospel there. And I'm a great believer in the, in the in the in the importance of the rug pull, as mm. it were. Again, when you yank the rug a bit and help people mm. see that there's nothing under underneath I was saying before we began that last week I was um well I mentioned the blockless monster thing last uh last week I was up in Inverness my wife's been up in Inverness but last week I was in Inverness doing a little mission up there Mm. and the group of churches I was working with did a little evangelism event on the Friday night in a a local hotel because we find going into neutral space is really helpful Mm. and uh, we had 55 uh tickets sold for an event that only held 50 which was a little bit of a kind of (laughs) panic for the hotel but they found on the table uh, but the fun, interesting thing was of those 55, 30 were non Christians. And we know amazing, that, by the very, way. that is amazing. Um, the churches worked really hard. They did a couple mm. of things brilliantly. They subsidized the event. So tickets were £10. Were ten mm. And then Christians were like massively strongly encouraged do not come unless you bring a, a friend who's not a Christian. Right. Um, and that worked really, really mm. well. But the topic was interesting. They asked me to speak on plagues, pandemics, and Putin where is hope to be found. And this was the kind of theme I took, Aaron, following. A bit of the outline of that, of an essay that C.S. Lewis wrote in 1948 called On Living in a Nuclear Age. I basically Ah. dangled people over the pit and went, (laughs) look, if nature is all that there is, if materialism is true, then you are going to die. Whether Mm. it's a nuclear bomb falling on your city or the next more virulent version of COVID or the number 92 bus, uh, the whole of civilization is going to end. The sun will expand and swallow the earth. Everything ends. And there are lots of atheists who talk about this and how despairing mm. it is in the yes. light of which you've only got three possibilities. You either commit suicide because at least I can control when I go, mm. uh, or you just distract yourself with entertainment, food, sex, Netflix. But by the way, don't ask too many questions. You know, you may think that you're distracting yourself with love. That's just a chemical reaction, yeah. um, you know, and so or you you just protest and you go, well, I'm going to fight for justice, even though the world is meaningless. But mm. of course, actually you haven't chosen to fight for justice. It's just your atoms in your brain tricking you into into mm-hmm. believing that so i really pushed people and then went or oh, the alternative is maybe we are maybe there is more than just nature you know maybe that still little voice you've sometimes heard at the back of your head going maybe there is more going on mm-hmm. maybe that voice is worth listening to but basically as we found as you really help people see the implications of materialism it can mm-hmm. actually be a little bit, bit like a cold bucket of water mm-hmm. In the face and so i'll often say to christians when i teach on evangelism don't just talk about the gospel constantly compare and contrast mm. because if materialism is true you know we mentioned justice all those things we care most of the most about don't actually work in mm. fact literally the the after the, an hour before um we uh you know we signed into zoom to record this podcast you know Brad, a new book turned up in the post from a from a friend of mine who's a brilliant writer Glenn Scrivener who's mm. written a wonderful new little uh new book not a little book it's actually three hundred pages but new book um called the air we breathe and it's basically a popular version of tom holland's book dominion for those who know that book yeah but glenn's thesis in that book is just like you know fish don't notice water because it's the environment they swim in so yeah. in the west in particular christianity is the environment that we swim in whether it comes to justice or freedom or generosity or forgiveness or any of those virtues and ethics mm-hmm. and things that we hold dear but what pe- people have forgotten the source of them, and they think they can have their, you know, materialistic chocolate cake, uh, <laughs> and 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 still eat or coconut or rice. coconut, or coconut. And actually, sometimes you need the falling coconut of reality to wake you up. To the there's a metaphor in there somewhere. That great but moment yeah, in Hawaii. Yeah, yeah. But I yeah, think no. you're right, and I think that's the thing we need to be doing as Christians: of going by all yeah. means, be a materialist, be- believe that we are just stuff, but then be be freaking consistent mm. and be willing to say, well, we are stuffed. There is no hope, mm. there is no justice. Mm. It's all a load of nonsense. Mm. Um, rather than trying to go, yeah, we want to throw God out the window, but then keep all the things that stand on him. That mm. is totally inconsistent. Mm. But that's mm. what our society is trying to is trying to do. Joe, you know, just one last thought. I'm reminded of um we like to watch classic action films with the kids, and when my wife was away the last few days, we just introduced them to the I introduced them to the Mask of Zorro, you know, that classic uh, Anthony Hopkins, Antino, Antonio Banderas right. uh, thing from the late 80s, early 90s. Oh, by the you know, way, only, only
0: when yeah. your live wife is away, you get to introduce Marcus but, to the Mask of Zorro. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What, yeah, she, yeah, sure. When
1: she comes back, it'll be, you know, something like sophisticated. Um, of course. But there's a little moment in that movie action sequence where Zorro is is riding two horses, one leg on each. Mm. And, um, you know, As just before the horses go the separate ways, he kind of leaps off. And I and I maybe think, you know, I think Western culture is doing that. It's trying to it's trying to straddle two horses. You've got the horse of materialism that wants to go this way, there's a the horse of spiritual values that wants to go this way, but Western culture is like one leg on each horse. And <laughs> either something's got to give or it's going to be very painful.
0: Yeah. And that's a really good point. And that's you know, funny reminds me that there's um um a writer called Henri de Lubac, who's a Catholic theologian, and he wrote a book I was reading recently called um, the drama of atheist humanism, talking about, and he's writing it in the middle of the Second World War. Looking at, like, like Lewis was writing often a lot, looking out in the midst of the Second World War. Go, this is like we're seeing here in this kind of destructiveness, even the chaos. And then even you could argue what comes out of that, um, the fulfilment of atheist humanism. The sense of you know this is all we have. And there's a a great kind of quote from it where he says uh, Nietzschean. We talked about Nietzsche before in terms of the the philosophy sort of proclaimed. The reality of the uh, that God is dead, and we have killed him, as it were. Nietzschean humanism is not so much atheism in the strict sense of the word as anti-theism, or more precisely, anti-Christianism. Um, and he actually says that the, the problem is it becomes sub-subhuman. Um, it's not true, as is so, as sometimes said, that man cannot organize the world without God. What is true is that without God, he can ultimately only organize it against man exclusive humanism is inhuman humanism so actually the case that if you want humanism if you want the best um way of humans organizing society and living functionally and well you're not going to get it by cutting up cutting yourselves off from the source of life and the source ultimately the source of meaning so though we can say how offensive it is of an andy banister to come along and tell us that our life means nothing that we are just stuff um, if we don't believe these propositions Actually, that there's a you. You need to face up to that reality, and Christians do need to confront that. So I like what you say there about don't just leave it hanging. Oh, it'd be mm-hmm. nice and Christian and lovely of me not to really say it, because otherwise I'll offend them and make them think their life is meaningless. You have a duty to do that. You have a, as a Christian to bring good news. You do need to bring bad news sometimes as well. Obviously, don't just yeah. <laughs> leave them there. Just go, oh, your life is stuffed. Off you go. But actually, say, look, you need to at least face up to the implications if if you are just material. There are significant issues here with the meaning of your,
1: your whole life and, and, and my life and everyone's life. Well, it's funny you say that on to go the other, the other, you, you say, don't just leave it hanging. Um, I was chatting with someone yesterday, another podcast I was, I, w- I was, doing, and he was talking about how, when he was raising his, his kids, he's a Christian, but mm. he's raising his kids and getting them to think through the implications. Cause the other thing, if you're a parent listening to this, you get your kids thinking about this, what it means you know the the implications of Christianity is true, materialism is true, and he would say, yeah. you know, sometimes when the food arrived on the table, you know, it was, dinner was ready, he would just say, uh, he would say with the things like, oh well, you know, here's the dinner, let's just thank unguided chance, and the kids would <laughs> laugh and find that quite funny, yeah, and he would make the point of going that actually, um, you know, there are there are some pretty implications. Well, I was you mentioned a book. I was going to, hmm. you know, we were talking about the fact we often recommend the same books, yeah. <laughs> So, I was just clearing out the study because we're moving house in a in a few weeks' time, and I've discovered things like three layers back of the bookshelf I hadn't read for a while. Another fantastic read I could recommend to people ah. on this subject. because I know people often you know who follow part of the gaps like to know what we've read or what we're reading. Oh, yeah. This was a gem when I came across it. So, have you come across Icarus Fallen? I've heard. Yes, Chantal I think DeSalle. I have. Yeah, I've not read it. It's absolutely unbelievably good book. She's a. She's a French philosopher, not a not a Christian at all, but I think somebody who's thought things through deeply. And she mm. uses that metaphor of you know Icarus from Greek mythology, mm. Mm. who had the wings and he flew so high, he flew those close to the sun, wings melted, he died. And he, she applies that image to the West that we've become mm. so clever and mm. so smart and so convinced of our own brilliance, we've risen so high that now it's all falling apart. Mm. And she's got a chapter in there on, on called a chapter in there called fragmented existence on sort of exactly what we're describing here. Let me really re- read you this little nugget. She says, contemporary man no longer has at his disposal anything more than his own limited existence, in mm. which death constitutes the absolute end, not only mm. biologically, but also spiritually, socially, and symbolically. He no longer mm. hopes for any beyond. He no longer mm. considers that his existence can stand for anything. His biological life will never know, and he is thereby entirely given over to his own finitude understand understood as a prison from which there is no escape mm. and this is an atheist philosopher right. writing that and she's not writing that as a kind of like oh it's all all right then, but yeah, that's that real yeah. sense of loss yeah that is what happens mm. um when you you know try and climb so high that you lose yeah you lose the transcendent as christians we need to have compassion not this is mm. not about being triumphalistic it's like no. we're seeing in our culture what happens when this is lived out mm. and what happens if you raise a generation of kids who are taught you are nothing but a 1% bit of pollution in the universe mm. or other, you know, mm. sort of secular soundbites.
0: Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And I think, you know, it, as we kind of come into a close, I think it's worth also thinking about how we can how we can respond to it, to the the sort of empirical or materialistic claim, even on its own term. Because you know how Paul often spoke to people, and Jesus did, in different ways. We had a recent episode where we said that oh, Jesus would you know, adapt his tone when he's talking to different kind of groups and and people. Paul, similarly, would be a Greek to a Greek, a Jew to a Jew. He'd argue in the marketplaces and debate as well as proclaim in different kind of settings and in different ways, uh, referring to different texts um, and different sort of um, authorities sometimes. And I think there's a way in which, you know, it's funny that you speak, when you speak to someone who just says, look, I would believe in God, uh, or I'd listen to anything else you'd want to say if he just show himself or if he just do something, um that i could empirically experience in some way and you say well it, you know I, I could i could tell you all of the millions of testimonies of where people feel like they have sort of been touched by god in some significant way this had a significant impact in their life all you'll say is oh that's a coincidence that's a coincidence that's psychosomatic that's made up and then you even say well what i mean what, what do you want god to do well i'd like him to do something kind of dramatic and you kind of go well what like a resurrection or something and kind of and then you can point, but it you point to it that sometimes actually it's worse to walk, walk, walk walking back with people. Because that is the central claim of the Christian faith that God literally made himself empirical. He made himself able to be experienced in our world. We are not dealing with a purely metaphysical uh, religion, which we're, an idea of just ideas in the sky or, or just spiritual realities that don't ever touch earth. We, we deal with an incarnated God who bodily ascend, uh, rose again and bodily ascended into heaven. Um, uh, so, so, the, so it's really, really significant that we stress that the bodily nature of of uh jesus's life and death and resurrection which is obviously coming up to easter we will be um many times in, in our churches and it's important to emphasize that because i think if we don't we are kind of uh we, could, we need to be able to see where the empiricist is coming from they they do care about empirical reality and so should we but we we believe alongside um, transcendent truths and the fact that god came from outside of our experience reality into it in order to transform it
1: i um I can't think of a better note to end on. uh To be honest, I was about to I sit there thinking. I thought I'm the evangelist. Yes, just just preach it, brother edward yeah, yeah. Sorry, it. I
0: should I should be. I, I was almost had the over to you to finish it, but then I'll, I'll, I do, I am the host, aren't I? So there we are. You um, are. But yes, you so are the, host, the
1: host for the most. The hostess for the, of
0: the mostest. Well, as I said, if if you have enjoyed part of the gaps today, we pr- hope and pray that you will consider supporting us, or uh, indeed sharing, liking um passing this on to those who who might find it helpful especially if you have any atheist friends we'd love to hear um from mm. some of uh feedback from some of your friends if you send this on to them and say hey what do you, what do you think about these two idiots uh speaking about yeah. uh worldviews and that kind of thing that'd be interesting and feel free to kind of send us comments and um, any feedback on the show um and i've been exactly. aaron edwards this has been andy bannister I the coconut been, man indeed. the coconut man himself and um, if you have any
1: spare chocolate cake give a letter Aaron Edwards of <laughs> yeah. Cliff College ideally during the next Lens season
0: yes please yes
1: honour that hey, bombshell man. goodbye farewell, farewell.